At the T-minus three-minute mark, tape recorders on board the spacecraft were turned on. These recorders record both voice and data. This is WOMMLP operating out of Burlington, Vermont, 105.9 The Radiator. Good evening, it's The Rocket Shop. I am back from my COVID scare. And your host, Tom Proxer, and with me tonight is Jason Baker. Hello. Hello, Tom. It's good to Tom. see you again. Yeah, welcome back into the studio. Yeah, it's been a long time, uh, for sure, uh, to be able to even gather like this. And thanks to everyone for here for social distancing and all that. Yeah, um, well, very glad to have you in. Um, as you know, we usually like to start with the song, so what have you got for us? Okay, I have a song. It was the first song. Um, this this past year, I managed to write and, um, and record an al- a solo album. Uh, I call it The Lighthouse. Um, I also was able to record a, an album with my mentor, Rick Polari, uh of folk music, um, uh, strictly folk and public domain songs. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, about a year ago, I, I, you know, we were all locked down, and I embarked on a bunch of new songs. And the first thing that came out was this song. It's called "Everybody Has a Name." Every 
Tim Baker there with Everybody Has a Name. Um, so, obviously, some big. Uh, COVID has shaped the way that you've created this album. So, do you want to tell me a little bit more about that and the, the album that you created with Lighthouse? Okay, so obviously, the first thing coming out was that reaction to the whole situation. And I wrote a bunch of other things talking about the different ways that people reacted. Uh, over the years, some of it, you know, let's face it, some of it's been very challenging for people. And uh, I tried to go deeper in a couple songs into one element or another. Um, you know, there's a song inspired by stuff that, and then there's the stuff that's come that came around because people were talking about it. Uh, there was a, a quote from Sonia Renee Taylor, that, Sonia Renee Taylor, I kind of pronounced the name correctly, that came went around about. You know, we don't really want to return to normal because normal had all these problems with it. And in there was the phrase, normal never was. So I wrote a song, that phrase hit me, and I wrote a song about that. Um, you know, there was the, the reports that when things, people were, you know, things were calmed down for a month or two that you could suddenly see, thing, you know, the pollution cleared up. And so the notion that you could see across to the mountains, see across to the seas, you know, led me to the thoughts of maybe there's more, you know, uh, things that people, opportunities here. So I wrote a, the first song on the album is called uh, When the World Shut Down. So it's about that. And so I shot these songs as I was writing them. And there's others, too. Like, I, like everybody else, I wrote a COVID blues song. Um, but I shot them around to other songwriters. And there were four folks who really supported me and, and wrote back. Um, one, is my, my, uh, one of them was my mentor, Rick Polari who I do a radio show with called Folk Talk, and I did an album with this past year of folk songs. Um, and uh, and then Guy Henderson, who was another mentor of mine, and then uh, a, fr a friend of mine who appeared on the album, Patty Shannon. She's a local musician and a CMA award-winning songwriter, and she, she not only gave me feedback, but was like, hey, I want to sing back up on these songs. So she's on the album. I did a, we did a masked you know, recording session at her house. And uh, so we were able to... We were able to uh, get, I was able to get feedback from all those people. And then there's the last fellow that really gave me feedback was a guy named Tom Smith from New Hampshire. And he's a longtime topical songwriter, very well respected. And he, I was stunned that, you know, I, I met him and knew him, but I mean, I was really stunned that he took the time because he, you know, he's a busy guy, I'm sure, but he took the time and listened right away and gave me feedback. And so as I was, he's, he's like, I like this and I like this. This one was okay. And then he was, and the last thing he wrote was, so are you going to write any uplifting material for this album? <laughs> so that was, uh, I finally realized I need to, you know, we can't just wallow in our things, so I did need to come up. So the album is structured in such a way that the heavy, deep, and real stuff is at the, uh, is the first tracks you hear. Uh, that song's number two. Um, you know, all the stuff that discusses the, the heavy uh, thought processes of what's, you know, what is it we're going through, and, uh, and what, what are the possible solutions and that sort of thing whereas the album takes a turn about halfway through i add in a a, a traditional song um the saint james infirmary blues which is about losing someone in a hospital without getting to say goodbye so i thought it was an, and i did an arrangement that i used Mr. guy henderson the guy i just mentioned i used his he had an arrangement an instrumental arrangement and i used portions of that in mine and so I, it was you know it was a transition point at that point in the album to where then the the song matter became much more flippant and less direct for you know it, you know I, I tried to divert people's from the problems as it were uh, there's a song about the giant hole in the middle of Burlington called the big hole um, and then there's a song about you know uh, you know at a certain point uh, towards the end of April there was just like a litany of stuff 
of just like everything, you know, and, and the, I think the, the, the final capper was, you know, the murder hornets and, you know, like, okay, great. All right, wait a minute. Asteroid coming, murder hornets, everything's going wrong. Sounds like the end of the world. And so I wrote an end of the world song called Israfil, Come Blow Your Horn. Hmm. And Israfil is a, an angel most people are not familiar with, but he's the actual horn blower when it's day of judgment. Um, and uh, basically God's just got a hangover and wants to hear some good jazz apparently. And so that, so like that, I tried to basically come up with different things, some ways of entertaining people rather than just being, you know, here's another song about the heavy, deep horror of our daily existence. Mm -hmm. And then finally I was able to come up with, you know, songs that are just flat out, you know, a positive way of looking at the world, a song called Grow about the, about the lessons you learn from growing plants. And it's really kind of a kid's song in a way. And then um, and then a song which I'll play in a little bit called A Little Further Down the Road, which uh, is grammatically incorrect, but still it sings better that way. Hmm. And then, um, the light, then the song, I finished the album with The Lighthouse, which is a song, uh, you know, I, I take the, I've used the, the image of The Lighthouse, literally the lighthouse that's here in Burlington, the north end of the breakwater, that same lighthouse, I've used that image on all my albums. Um, and there's a, re and, you know, I've always felt that it was a, a good metaphor for, um, you know, for things like, you know, trying to provide a light in the darkness, that kind of thing. But it's also, I realized, a, a metaphor for community. And so that's why, you know, I chose it as the thing. It's, it's one of the first earliest buildings that people built as a community structure for the community good and for the good of other people who they didn't even know, um, just for the public common good. And... Uh, so it's a good, you know, it, it was a good metaphor for that song and for the album. It, it sounds like the, the album itself was kind of a little bit like your journey through COVID. And I, I guess kind of everyone's journey through COVID in the sense that, as you said, by April, we almost felt overburdened by the amount of negative news that was coming out that we, I think, a lot of us kind of collectively checked out, started growing things in the garden, tried to look within ourselves a little bit more than looking out um, while, you know, the world was kind of crumbling around us and, and maybe also becoming a bit nihilistic and having some gallows humour at the same time. So, um, in terms of the... Um, in terms of this album um, and kind of the, your songwriting now, because you're very prolific, this is the third album in three years, mm -hmm. have you... What are you kind of writing about now? What's Where's, where's your kind of... Ooh, since this point, okay, yeah. so this album, right, This album was released last August, so it's not brand new at, at all. But I mean, uh, to me, it's still it's because of COVID. It's everything's in slow motion. So to me, this is the earliest promotion that I could, you know. Um, well, I'll say this: there are songs that are left over there that didn't make the cut, like the COVID nineteen blues, you know, whatever. Because everybody wrote one, it was pedestrian, whatever. There are so, there is a song on there that I wrote. A lot of the songs were trying to figure out what do people feel. How do I express their feelings? Or how do I say something that people want to hear? That's also, it's sort of a responsibility of the audience, which is definitely why we, the positive songs are definitely, you know, you'll just, you know, what, do, what is it that, what would reassure people right now that you know, mm -hmm. people say, you know, if you're going to do something positive, you might as well do that. But also, what are people's blues, as it were, to sing? And that sort of thing. And one of the songs I wrote, I, I'm considering it for the new album still, because it's one of the ones that's left over. It's a good song. But it, it could be misinterpreted. It could have been misinterpreted as an anti-mask song, because, because it has you know get up and go out kind of lyrics. And what I was aiming at was, uh, you know, people are. Tra I started with the feeling of being trapped, and I thought, well, this is a metaphor for people's lives a lot. People are trapped in jobs, relationships, other things. So I wrote a song called Liberty, and it's a great little song, 
but I don't dare play it in public because people could, the way the lyrics are written, take it on their own to say, this means I don't, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm not going to wear a mask, I'm going to do what I want, I'm going to, but really it was about all these other things that we have that hold us back rather than, like, we're not, you're trapped, you're trapped before COVID is the, you know, really, and so if you really want, you know, if you really are ready to bust out, you know, that was the name of that song, but I, it's a question of market whether to include it until the pandemic is fully over or not. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of thing I was writing then. Since then, I mean, right, right before the album was, I mean, the album was finishing recording and before the album was done, I wrote a song on July 4th. I always write a song on July 4th for some reason. I noticed that now. <laughs> I'm not sure why that is, but that it was, and it's funny, it was kind of prescient and that's going to be on the album. Um, and I think I'm going to do it with a ukulele or something like that. And it's going to be, it's called the uh, bigotry blues and uh you know and it was all about you know uh, basically the right wing rise of right wing hatred and stuff like that so that's what i was started to write about really is that kind of thing um again the themes you know so i wrote the song liberty then i, then I wrote a song called responsibility which sounds like a, it could be a terrible song but it's you know i have you know i'm not sure of it yet you know mm -hmm. what i mean so all those things go into the hopper and then when i do a demo finally of all these of what everything i've collected over the past six months um which is happening in the next month or so basically i start demoing things and then shopping around to the same people asking them their opinion and maybe others if they're interested but these were the people who were interested and getting their feedback and it was it's an incredibly valuable process and uh, i do uh, a songwriter group here in burlington and sharing with others and tomorrow night we're having a meeting online if anybody's interested check us out on facebook uh, and and find the event, and you'll we'll, we'll be posting the link to the Zoom meeting, and you can come in and share a song, and um, and get feedback from, and it's kind feedback, you know, like hey, this is you know, this is what's good. Here's what I would want to hear more of. This is that's that you know phrase doesn't make sense. It's just a rhyme. Try you know you could do better there, mm -hmm. and you get valuable honest feedback from people. So I think honestly that's that's one of the things as a songwriter that's been most important is the community aspect of it. Uh, you can't. A lot of people think that they can just you know magically you know you know regurgitate a beautiful poem or, or a song or whatever and have it just come out and it's perfect the way it is and everything I do everything and every single one is good, but. No, uh, I, I'm. I believe I mentioned this the last time. It was on John Prine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he he wrote he wrote uh, ten songs a day in his office from nine to five, fifty songs a week, and out of that, he said one or two were good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's you just got to remember. You know, uh, you know, this it's well, songwriting is mostly failing, is what I've discovered. <laughs> um, you kind of touched on something there that um, I'm definitely interested to explore a bit further. Um, going now and, and having this Facebook group meeting on Zoom, I feel like that's a way that a lot of us have kind of uh, changed in this past year and it's become very commonplace now to, to schedule a lot of things yes. uh, online and that, that might be something we continue going forward because it's, it's more convenient, it's more accessible for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Is the way you write your songs in this album, did it adapt, did it change? comparison to your previous albums because of the pandemic or, or you kind of kept your your methods and your structure uh, as is i kept my methods and structure but oddly i think the 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 format benefits my style uh, a lot 
uh, you know, I did write a couple of quieter songs, um, but I've always written, you know, a few, but so I, I think it benefits, I think, yeah, I think maybe, I, I don't know if I, I didn't do anything conscious with regard to this will be better for online, but I did notice that when you, if I do it, on, when I did it online, when it was doing, when it was working correctly, part of that is getting the, the technical aspect to work correctly, like, don't go directly to YouTube, or, you know, there's various things you learn. Um, and, and basically, when it's working, and Zoom has done an incredible job. I got to give them credit. In September, they rolled out high resolution, high fidelity music modes, and all this stuff mainly for teachers. But it, it's worked great for song circles and song shares and online little concerts and things. So you can use Zoom as your main interface, and the sound its quality is is very good. So, for, so the, what I'm presenting, which is typically something that requires people to either listen because uh, uh, it's quiet or concentrate on the lyrics. Uh, seems to benefit from this format. There's an interesting the way that technology can benefit certain things. TikTok this year had a sea shanty uh, craze. We did, um, Rick Polari and I did a show on Folk Talk about the sea shanty craze and we compared old and new versions and things like that. But the reason it came about is because the TikTok app, the duet feature, has a built-in latency, which makes call and response type songs ideal for it, whereas singing along the whole song wouldn't work as well. If somebody knows what's coming up, it works. So uh, I expect, uh, you know, work songs to come back or something, but done in, uh, I guess, uh, Backstreet Boys style vocals, I guess is what it sounded like. Because I got to admit it, I think it's a good thing for sea shanties to get a big shot in the arm from different types of singing. It's not, they don't sound like the old sea shanty singers at all. They're doing a new thing. And it's a, it's a good mix of, it's a good example of folk music actually working the way it's supposed to, continuity and tradition at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think it would be great to listen to any, another song. So what have you got for us? Okay, so this is still from the first half of the album, so nobody, you know, get all depressed, okay? <laughs> but I decided to uh, write something a little more broad. And this the guitar here, uh, a couple of quick things. First, the guitar here that people can't see on the radio is a, is a I'm just going to say, uh, advocate for it. It's a very ugly guitar, just to let you know what you're looking at, uh, what you're not looking at, um, but it is a rescue guitar. This guitar was saved from a, uh, a, a being beaten to pulp by God knows who. Um, it had been beaten up and had broken pieces on it, and I fixed it up for the whole total cost on this guitar is uh, 1846 or something like that. And then the tuning that this guitar is in is an odd little tuning. And it's um, a tuning I got uh, contacting a fellow from New Zealand named Paul Lubana Jones, who's actually a pretty world famous folk singer. And I said, I, I just was like frustrated trying to learn a song off his album. And I wrote, well, what's this tuning, man? Like, and I didn't expect him to write back. And he totally wrote a long thing back saying, here's the tuning. You should live with it for a while and try it in different, use the capo and try it in different, things to get textures and write a bunch of songs with it. And I did. And two of the songs on my album came out of that. So thanks to Paul Bowen Jones, I have this song. It's uh, called We've Been Dark Ever Since. Closed our doors. We've been 
dark ever since We've been dark ever since We've been thinking about dead presidents We've been dark ever since It started well before then When time got back from the war The radios one by one fell silent There were no jobs anymore We've been dark ever since We've been dark ever since We've been thinking about dead presidents We've been dark ever since They shot the leaders of this country In the year that I was born Shot Kennedy in 63 And to this day this country mourns We've been dark ever since We've been dark ever since We've been thinking about dead presidents We've been dark We've been dark We've been dark ever since We've been dark ever since there by Jason Baker off his new album, The Lighthouse, uh, which came out in August of this year. Uh, now I want to speak a little bit about the album you created with your mentor, Rick Polari, who we've had the pleasure of having on a, a few times. Folk Talk, A Guide to Traditional Folk Music, Volume 1, which certainly implies there might be a few more in the hopper. Um, it's a, it's a, yes, it's a, an implied threat. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about how this got created. As you said, already you and Rick have your own radio show, so I'm sure that has something to do with it. Well, yeah, so Rick and I uh, do a radio show over at WBTV called Folk Talk, and uh, they we it, it's on every week as we can. We um, Over the course of the pandemic, it's become a lot more difficult to do them um, just because we're doing it remotely, and so we it's just a... It's a bear, actually. I do. I end up. He ends up. He's a, pretty much it, the show's concepts are his ideas, and I tend to be the technical person, which is why I was brought in. He started the show. His first show did not go well from a technical perspective. <laughs> he had a real hard time. They had a great fun time with this guy Andy Cohen, but they didn't get the recording, and, they, and he was very upset about all that. So he asked me, since he knew I was technically minded and interested in what he was doing, and I had helped him with his. Um, his uh, Great Vermont Barn Dance live streams. When he, they clearly were having trouble, I jumped in and helped out. And he asked me to do this radio. He just actually, what he did was said, come over to the radio, uh, this media factory and uh, on Sunday. And then he said, how would you like to do a radio show? And I said, sounds cool. And he goes, okay, we're on in 20 minutes. <laughs> and so then we did a, it actually worked. We did a, a double show. Uh, 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 we did a show and then we did a double show that we ended up pre-recording using his, um, 
an interview with Pete Seeger and cutting shows in. So we actually had a, had some experience doing this type of cut-in show. And that's the kind of shows we've been doing over the past years. He comes up with a, 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 an interview or a stack of music, and we and then we talk about it a little bit and then mix that all together. And, it, and that's all we've been able to do. So with the Gert, so during that time, I'm learning all this kind of stuff about folk music and the folk music community and the history of it from him because he's been in it. He knows the people. He, he you know, he... His his mentors were Pete Seeger, Utah Phillips, uh, 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 Jimmy Driftwood. Like he know he knew all the real deal people and learned stuff from him. Like you know from them, and I've been trying to learn from him. So some of the songs he, he started teaching me. I said I, I had asked him to. Play, he he appeared on Common Man Blues. Actually, he had come into the studio. And uh, so some of the songs on Common Man Blues were you know just live recordings of me playing like this. Um, and then the other half or four of the songs were in a studio and two of them had Rick and another friend, Janice, on it. And I, I had such a good time that I asked Rick, would you do an album with me of just, and I realized it would be expensive if we were trying to do covers of things because, you know, he's, he actually had just done that with his album of Pete Seeger-related uh, maritime songs and how much it costs, especially to do a booklet that apparently costs more than just doing the covers. But either way, you pay a lot of money I thought, well, why don't we do actual folk songs? Just old-time folk songs, public domain songs. And so we actually did this. And we started we started in the beginning of 2020, before the pandemic hit, and got like two days in the studio, and then everything shut down. And so it was like difficult. So he had to come through up with a learn he had to go through a learning curve of learning how to do stuff at home himself. He now does a live stream that's broadcast on this radio station. Uh, he's, you know, really, you know, taken to it. So he was able to learn how to record at home, uh, send me tracks of him playing the banjo and I could record a vocal over it and add a guitar or, or not or add a, you know, in other words, we'd add bits and pieces to some songs and some songs we left fairly simple and we were able to finish an album that way. And so, uh, yeah, the volume one is definitely a threat that we're going to do more because we had so many songs that we had to leave things off. Um, we did make decisions to leave things off that we had initially had talked about because we realized there are some songs we should stop singing now. Like, we were going to do a, a song, and I looked up the history of the song, and it was a minstrel song. And then we thought about it, and we were like, no. We're not going to, you know, although people sing it without, with the, with, you know, um, with, you know, uh, what do you call it? Euph with lyrics that have, you know, that dull that and history of it, it it's not worth it to me to to jump into that question. So we actually had to make a lot of interesting decisions. Most of the songs are stuff he taught me or that are part of his normal repertoire. And they're just really, you know, classic songs like, you know, uh, John Henry. We do a good John Henry together. And uh, um, Sourwood Mountain, I got to sing that. That was pretty cool, which is unusual kind of, not, you know, not really from my background. And then for the last song, I chose um, something that was familiar from when I was a little kid, which is uh, On Top of Old Smokey, which I, I, even as a kid, I, I always liked that, the real version better than the spaghetti version, honestly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and also it's good for, it's traditional for a folk band, you know, an old time band to end on a waltz, and even on a waltz. So that was why that choice got made. But most of the other songs were things that he knew that he felt was important to impart to me. And that's what really the album is. This, the show and the album are, are essentially a dialogue. It's like you're looking into uh, a, a dialogue between a, a mentor and, his, and his, his student, and that's truly what is happening. You're, you know, a lot of times I'm asking, well, what happened? Well, why did it, why did it happen that way, Rick? And it's, well, it turns out that, and he tell, he'll tell a whole story about how 
Waterbury used to be, you know, the, the, the center of uh, country music in Vermont for many years because of the radio station there used to have country music stars come down with their Nashville duds walking downtown or whatever, you know, and things like that that you never knew. I never knew that about Vermont. And, or just little bits of history about a song, you know, what, what it meant. Um, so John Henry, he taught me that. And, the ver and he said, well, the first version I played with Pete Seeger, I learned it in C, I learned it in G. He, when he got to interview Pete, they played it together in G. Pete didn't really play it in G, but he did it. But Pete's just a generous guy, so he never said anything until later. He goes, by the way, I do that in C. <laughs> and so then the next time they did, they played it in C. But the last time he got to play with Pete, Pete was getting old. And he had changed a lot of songs to make it easier for him to play and sing. But he said, this is my Pete Seeger. This is my version of Rick Polari's <laughs> impression of Pete Seeger. Well, you know, Rick... I've really gotten into boiling a song down to its very essence, and that's what I've done here. So I've moved John Henry down a half step to B flat, to, uh, down a whole step to B flat, so I can sing it easier. But it's also a good blues key, <laughs> and um, and then and then that's and it's got most most of the changes are not you know that people have all these chord changes, most of them he's removed he removed them. There's just one chord change, and so the version is much simpler. But I gotta say we did it that way. And so, you know, it, it really works. It really works because uh, it focuses on the story. Mm -hmm. um, and the melody is still intact. And so I felt that was really, I, like, that was an important thing for me to learn, not just any a version of, you know, not just, you know, oh, I can do the Bill Brunsey-style version of John Henry because that's what I learned when I was young. But learning, you know, this is what Pete Seeger decided was the essence of the song. That was a cool thing just in and of itself to know, let alone to share with everybody on an album. So that was the cool part about it. Um, I, one question I've, I've asked a couple of folk musicians, actually, um, and you kind of just brought something up that reminded me, but what, what do you feel it is about folk music? And I guess, what, what does Rick feel it is about folk music that draws so many storytellers? Why is folk the medium of storytelling in songs or why is it seen as traditionally the medium of storytelling in songs? Well, the, else? the tradition uh, part of it is ballads. Ballads are story songs by definition. In fact, a lot of people think ballads are just slow songs with mel nice melodies, but there's a lot of people who write modern songs that are slow and they don't really tell a story precisely. They're a lot more abstract. Um, so, about, you know, you might say, well, you know, this Billy Joel song is about, but it's not really. It's actually just, a, it's actually a personal, like introspective song. And that's different. Um, so the, it's the ballad tradition that, in terms of why is it a tradition, I think it actually is in everything. Oh, you know, honestly, I think most music, mo the best songs do tell stories, and Pete Seeger was always saying that. And in fact, he, he, one, of, one of my favorite Pete Seeger songs, he, there's a book, and it has his criticism of his own song. Oh, this song is really kind of an editorial, really, and I could have <laughs> done better. It really would be better if this was a story. But it's a song, a song called Letter to Eve, and it's a brilliant song about peace, you know, about wishing people peace on earth and, and between, you know, and so I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know the answer to, to, to the, uh, people like stories, I guess, is the best way to do it. As far as folk music being the medium, I don't know that it isn't, I think all music is folk music, though. That's the thing, I guess, mm -hmm. unless it's, uh, you know, at a certain point, unless it's seriously formalized in the sense of classical music and you can't play it another way. And even then, classical music has all kinds of things in it that are hidden underneath it. Oh, well, how you, that makes it different, different orchestras, the Ormandy version versus a much more modern thing is gonna sound different because of the, the tones they like or whatever. But also stuff like, you know, 
you know, learn, oh, they just mark something, continue, obey, and the person's supposed to know what to do. That's improvisation. That leaves room for interpretation. So all music is interpreted, interpreted by people. And as I think Leadbelly said, well, ah, it's folk music because I don't see no cows playing it. Hmm. And so, you know, if, if, it's, if, people, if it's played by people, it's folk music. It's, it's, uh, in a sense, rock and roll is nothing but, uh, you know, a, a, a marketing term for, you know, doo-wop vocal music, which arose out of the one tra tradition, and rockabilly, which arose out of a different tradition. You know, like, and they, they, they merge there only as a marketing strategy. Country music, rock and roll, folk. There was no Grammy uh, category for any of those before 1958. They were all created in 58 and 59. All of those categories did not exist before then. There was no such thing as country music. It was called hillbilly music. There was no such thing as rock and roll. It was called R&B or race music, race records. And so rock and roll and all those things, and even folk. <clears throat> folk was created to differentiate certain things and say, this is separate, this is not country music. Even though Woody Guthrie, as Marty Stewart would say, is as, as he said in the country music show, Woody Guthrie says countries can be. But he's folk music because of the political content. They wish to, a lot of those labels are to separate people by, uh, by uh, race. Specifically, this is what's safe to buy. They tried to make rock and roll into, you know, uh, you know Pat Boone's version of Little Richard and stuff like that. They, re they really put that out and tried. But, but kids, you know, some people just wanted to buy the authentic deal of R&B. Um, from people who were black. And, you know, so the record company figured out, well, we got to make money somehow. And that was Elvis, of course. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the classic. If I could find me a white guy who can sing like a black man, I'll make a million dollars. Well, they made way, way more than a million. Uh, Elvis is the biggest thing in the world for a long time. Um, and that was, you know, so they weren't wrong in terms of the popularity of the music. Um, but it, it shows that the, but the political atmosphere in which they're selling stuff, the capitalist they, you know, they had to do it in a way that didn't disrupt things too much. Mm -hmm. So, folk music, Kingston Trio was the first folk Grammy ever, and the categories created for them so that they didn't win something else. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially, it kicked off the the folk revival of the '60s, as many people call it, or as some people who were actual traditional folk folk traditionalists call it, the folk scare of the '60s. Um, that's what they call that sometimes, but. That's, you know, those, those, uh, folk music is any music that you're, uh, people are playing, is my opinion. Um, and the, and plenty of classical music composers used, you know, they, they even acknowledge it. Folk, this folk melody, you know, this is a folk melody, and I used mm -hmm. it and I made a classical composition out of it. Anytime you take a song, at this point, all folk music means is music that is, um, in a, you know, in one sense, all it means is music that is not uh, copyrighted anymore. Mm -hmm. So, if something is younger than seventy, whatever, I forget, you know, the whole, you know, whatever the amount of years it is, uh, and 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 doesn't isn't copyrighted, then it's folk music too, because everybody if everybody sings it, it's a folk song. Mm. That's I guess maybe it's so hard to come up with a definition of all yeah. that. But and people have tried and tried, but to me, if it's like if people sing it, it's folk music because they're people, because they're folks. Interesting. Thank you for, for telling me about that, by the way. That's, yeah, definitely uh, something I didn't really know about. So I, I always appreciate learning new things. Um, well, we've not got too much time left, but I do want you to be able to promote what you can promote and tell us where we can find your music and, and maybe tell us a little bit uh, if you are going to be 
doing any shows in the near future now you've been vaccinated? Yeah, I've got my uh, first uh, first shot. Um, well, let's start with promoting. So uh, the album The Lighthouse is out, and so is Folk Talk, A Guide to Traditional Folk Music, Volume 1, with that really important. But if you just look up Folk Talk, Folk Talk, A Guide, and it's hard to say Folk Talk. You don't want to say it too fast for obvious reasons. <laughs> folk Talk. So we have to say we say it. And see you next week on Folk Talk. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, try that album out, and those things are available anywhere you normally stream music. So uh, you know, I'm not I, rather than name the platforms. You can you know where you can stream music wherever you stream music. You can find me, Jason Baker, The Lighthouse, or Common Man Blues, and or if you're really adventurous, America Dreams is still out there, um, and they're all available online. America Dreams is only online. Um, I do have CDs if people want to contact me. You can just, my email is jason at jbakervt.com. jbakervt.com is my website. Um, J B A K E R V T, J for Jason, VT for Vermont, obviously. Dot com. And uh, that's where you can find most of my stuff. Um, I'm going to be playing a, my first outdoor gig since September. It, it, at a at a backyard party location as yet undisclosed, a uh, that someone's trying to come up with a you know a house party a house concert type venue in their backyard so the social distancing can still be in effect. Uh, that'll be on the twenty third. So if folks want to check out on Facebook, uh, you know again Jay Baker VT is where you find me on everything. Uh, and then uh, I the only other things I have set up in terms of because in terms of actual shows because you know it's everything's so unsure is some outdoor shows at the vermont state parks um now which order am i going to see i'm pretty sure in june i'm playing at elmore state park i'm pretty sure i'm playing button bay in july and then grand isle state park in august and those would be towards you know a saturday basically a saturday or yeah saturday during the beginning uh, of each of those months so that's where i'll be playing Randall State Park in August is a great place to play. It, it, they're, uh, they're, I picked those three parks uh, because they're just basically they're the best three parks around for a day trip, if you will. And so I'm like, these are just, heck, I'll get to go to the park I like, <laughs> play some music for people, maybe, you know, sell a few CDs or whatever, but that's about it, you know. And the main thing is to be, uh, is to, I don't, if there's a problem with the COVID, with COVID still, we're canceling it, obviously. Mm -hmm. They will cancel it, I, I assume. I would, you know, if it looks like gathering people together is still a bad idea. I think small, I, I'm not expecting a horde, let's just <laughs> put it that way, to come and listen to me. So uh, if it's a small gathering, uh, I'm nervous about July 4th and stuff like that. So we'll see. You know, we'll, we have to, it's, we've come to a point in this world where we have to uh, it, reiterate our, our and recalculate every day. Uh, where we are at, what's going on, what's going to happen. So, yeah. Well, best of luck, um, and I do hope you do get to play those days and I those places. Um, so what song have you got to play us out with? Well, uh, as I mentioned, banging the mic around, as I mentioned, uh, my friend Tom Smith gave me feedback about the album and said, hey, are you going to write any, by the way, these are great, are you going to write any uplifting material for the album? I gotta tune that, sorry. And I wrote this song, which is, I, I admitted, I admit it's grammatically incorrect to say further, a little further down the road, but it sings so much better than farther. So this is, a, this is an attempt at 
uh, again, reassuring people now. So this would be a message I hoped people wanted to hear. <laughs> it's called A Little Further Down the Road. Thank you so much for coming in. That has been a really ple great pleasure. Thank you very much for having me again on Rocket Shop. Oh, no worries. Um, well, that's all we've got time for tonight. Uh, tune in next week. We've got Cameron Clark coming in, so it's going to be a good show. Uh, but um, for now, this has been 105.9 The Radiator, The Rocket Shop. I've been your host, Tom Proctor, and good night. Sorry.